Let's say a little prayer before I begin. Dear Heavenly Father, come now and show us your own heart and open up your life to us. And let us know who God is, that we may recognize you and that we may cling to you in this time. We need you. And we need you every hour. And so now come and open up our minds that we may know who you are and be blessed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our study on God and who Jesus said that he was. And we'll be in John's Gospel today, in chapter number 12, for our text today. John's Gospel, chapter number 12. When I was a teenager, I had an eye for a pretty girl. And any healthy young man does, I suppose, and I was no exception. I had friends that were girls, but you never called them girlfriends. That was something different. They were just girls that were friends. Some were pretty, some were not. That didn't really matter to me. But then I got to know this pretty girl, and she had a boyfriend. But I had a different kind of attraction to that girl. It was more than just, hey, look, there's a pretty girl. And some friends, I remember, said to me, you know, that girl's got a boyfriend. I said, so? What's that matter? He's no competition. <laughs> and one day I decided, I'm going to pursue that girl. And I admit, she attracted me in a way that no other girl ever did. So I started hanging around that girl. I suppose the real question was, did she have the same attraction for me? Of course, there was an obstacle to overcome, and not the boyfriend. She got rid of him on her own. <laughs> no, there was another obstacle. You see, when I started to hang around with that young lady, the pastor of her church called her aside, and he said, Now, young lady, whatever you do, you stay away from that boy. He's nothing but trouble. I thought this might be a little bit harder of an obstacle to overcome, but you know what? She was feeling the same attraction for me that I was feeling for her, so she ignored the pastor's advice. The attraction we felt for each other got stronger and stronger. There's a force in nature called magnetism, and it's when two things are drawn to each other by a magnetic force, they're drawn, attracted to each other, and when these magnets come together, it's difficult to get them apart. They cling to each other. Well, I've been married to that girl for 46 years. And I've reminded her many times, your pastor warned you. That boy is nothing but trouble, and you should have listened. But in the past 46 years, the attraction is still strong. They call it love. <laughs> now we've started a new series about God. And we're studying things that Jesus told us 
that teach us about God and who He is and how He behaves. Because, my friends, altogether the most important thing about you is what do you think of God? That opinion defines not only who you are, but it also defines what will become of you in the end. And so the most important question that you must answer is this, what will you do with Jesus? Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, and he grew up in a town called Nazareth, and at 30 years of age, he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and for three and a half years, he had a public ministry. It was early in that three-and-a-half-year ministry that a man came sneaking through the streets of town under the cover of darkness to find Jesus and to have a conversation with him. And late at night, a knock came on Jesus' door, and he opened the door and invited into the house a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus that is one of the most famous conversations of all time. And Jesus said something to Nicodemus that night that we want to think about today. Of the many wonderful things he said, we've chosen out one of the things that Jesus said to Nicodemus in the middle of the night that night. He said this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Nicodemus was a good Jew. He was familiar with that old story about Moses. Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and those people that he was leading were some of the most bad-tempered, complaining people you ever met. And like a spoiled child that needs discipline, God allowed something to happen to them to correct their continual complaining. Out of the desert sands came little vipers, poisonous snakes. They were everywhere. They were under the tents and in the clothes, and all around them were these little vipers. And there was no antidote for their poison, so people were falling down all around and dying of snake bite. And they cried out to Moses, help us, we're dying. So Moses prayed to God, and God told Moses, make a little snake out of brass and put it on the top of a long pole. Then lift that brass pole with a snake on it way up high in the air. And then you tell the people, here's the cure for your snake bite. Look at the brass snake on top of the pole. Send the message out, look and live. Look and live. So Jesus told Nicodemus that night, that, Nicodemus, is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be lifted up like the snake on the Pole, I too will be lifted up for all to see. 
Of course, Jesus was referring to the way that he was going to die, nailed to a cross, and lifted up on the cross for all to see. So early in his ministry, Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. Now, today, I know that I'm going to die. I don't know how. I'm going to die, or when. My mother's father died of consumption at 52. My mother's mother died of cancer at 52. My father's mother died of old age in her 90s. My mother died of Parkinson's disease at 72. Now, I know I'm going to die, but I don't know how I will die. Will it be cancer or old age, heart attack or Parkinson's? I don't know how or when I'm going to die, and neither do you. You don't know either. But Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. How did he know that? Well, he was born as a baby, and like all babies, he couldn't walk or talk. He didn't know anything, like all our babies are the same. He had to learn like all babies learn. And we find him at 12 years old, that he had learned that God was his father and not Joseph. And one day, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem. And after the holiday, they headed back to Nazareth, but they couldn't find Jesus. And finally, they found him in the temple, asking and answering questions with the learned rabbi, a 12-year-old. And Mary said, we've been worried looking for you. And Jesus said, don't you know I must be doing my father's business? So at 12 years old, he knew he was the Messiah, he knew he was sent from God, and he knew he was here to do God's business. I suppose he learned about the Messiah by reading the Old Testament. It's full of prophecies about the Messiah. And then one day, one amazing day, he must have read that chilling passage from Psalm number 22. And it says this, a pack of evildoers is closing in on me like wild dogs, and they have pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones. Psalm 22. And he understood that was him, pierced through his hands and his feet, and he knew he was going to be crucified. So he knew how he was going to die by being lifted up on a cross. My friends, that was a horrible way to die. But he knew it before he was ever baptized by John in the Jordan River. And in his three and a half years of ministry, he mentioned it over and over many times. But people just couldn't grasp it, and they sort of ignored him. As time went on, the day was coming closer for him to die. Jesus knew it. 
because he knew he would die on Passover. But nobody else did. Not even his enemies really knew when he would die. And finally it came. It's only a few days away. And something happened in those few days that got Jesus really excited. Seems like such a small thing that you barely notice it. You read over it and don't see why it's important. You don't understand why Jesus was so excited. It seems like an insignificant event, but not to Jesus. Listen to what happened here from John chapter 12, verse 20. There came certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. It's the holidays in Jerusalem, and Jews from all over the world go to Jerusalem for Passover. But a group of men from Greece have come to celebrate the holiday. They've heard all the gossip and all the stories about Jesus. And they came up to the disciples and they say, If you please, sir, we would like to see Jesus. Now, was it idle curiosity? Did they have questions to ask him? It doesn't really say. But it says they wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus is so happy. He was always surrounded by Jews. His disciples were Jewish. His mother and father had been Jewish. His enemies were Jewish. He was immersed in Jewish life and culture. But now a group of foreigners, men from Greece, not Jews, come to see Jesus, and he's so happy. He sees it as the beginning, the very first step. The story of Jesus and what he did will spread over all the earth, and this is the beginning of it. Men from Greece want to know about Jesus. They're all excited. He gets really excited and happy, and he says a prayer to his father, talking to the people there. We read it in verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I can take a seed. I have a seed in this little jar. Just one seed. I put it in there this morning just one seed and I can seal it up and it will stay there in that jar indefinitely they found wheat seeds in Pharaoh's tomb that were sealed up for over 2,000 years and they planted them after 2,000 years, and they grew. They seal it up, 
and you'll have one seed, one kernel of corn indefinitely. But plant it, and that seed will cease to be. It'll be gone. It'll die. But out of it will come many seeds. On one ear of corn, two or three hundred seeds. And plant those and let them die, and you'll have thousands of seeds. All because that seed must die. And Jesus said, my time has come. I'm about to die, but if I die, the message will multiply and spread. It'll go to Greece. It'll go to Rome, to Asia and Europe, even to America. He knew that. Yes, and even here to East Shelby. Jesus is so excited. Yes, he is about to die. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Listen to Jesus. Father, he prays, let this be a glorious thing. Let this troubling moment be a glorious thing. In a couple of days from then, he was going to die on a cross, nailed to it, and it's a horrible way to die. But Jesus says, oh, Father, let glory come from my crucifixion. And the Father is so excited. He says, I will, I will, I promise to, I will. Now, Jesus is about to explain what he means by that. My friends, this is the secret to the power of Jesus Christ and to who he is. Verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death, he should die. My friends, here is the power of Jesus Christ, and it is truly glorious. He said, if I be lifted up, if I be crucified, hung up on a cross of wood, I will draw all men to me. There's a magnetic force, an attraction, a power to draw people and you will see that power, said Jesus, on display when I am lifted up on a cross. Now you say to me, Eric, that was a shameful way to die. Oh, yes, it was. A death meant to punish criminals. Yes, it was. A public display of torture and suffering. Yes, it was. But Jesus said, when I'm on that cross, I will have a drawing power over all men. I will have an attractiveness. Now what is this attractiveness? What is it that attracts men? Now we know that Jesus was the best teacher that ever lived. Nobody ever was a better teacher. You could learn so much from Jesus. But I'm telling you today, people don't want to learn. That's not what they want. Jesus is the greatest source of wisdom 
available. But I tell you today that people don't want to be wise. It's not what they want. Jesus is the best moral compass that the world has ever known. But people don't care about what's right or wrong today. That's not what's attractive to them. There is something, though, that everybody wants, without exception. That's why Jesus says, my death will be glorious. Because on that cross displayed something wonderful. Never before or since has there ever been such a display. It was the greatest display of love ever seen, and everybody wants to be loved. He's dying for you. He's dying for me. I can say my mother loved me, and she did. I can say my family loves me, and they do. But nobody ever loved me like that. Nobody ever gave their life for me like Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, lift me up. Crucify me. I'm doing it for you. And as I am on that cross dying for you, look, look and live. Look and live, he says. Look and live. My friends, I find in him an irresistible attraction magnetic pull and a drawing power like I have never known before. There's an old song we used to sing. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so kind and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. That's why the cross, Jesus said, was going to be glorious. In spite of its shame and suffering and pain. In that dark and painful death, the love of God was poured out in a never-ending fountain that calls us and attracts us and draws us to Jesus. When those Greeks came and said, we want to see Jesus, Jesus said, so it begins. Let it begin and let it spread over the whole world and let it spread to every man. And I will draw, Jesus said carefully, all men to myself. But there is something to consider today. It is possible not to be attracted by God's love. 
You can stand firm and set your feet. Make up your mind. You can say, I will not respond to that display of love. I refuse to be moved by what that man did. I will not feel what he did. I will not be drawn to that cross. See, the thing about love, my friend, it will not drive you. It will not force you. Love doesn't drive people. It draws them. But let it draw you today. Don't resist. Don't struggle against it. May God's love demonstrated so well by Jesus on that cross overcome you and attract you and draw you like a magnet to him. That is his power to draw you to himself. I pray you will be moved by it and be more attractive to Jesus. And be drawn closer to him. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father. You knew what you were doing when you went to that cross. And you were excited to be lifted up. So all the world could see. What you did. And as we stand and think of it this day. We've never known anything like it before and it calls us and says come 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 to me and we want to do that so help us Lord that we will respond to your love that was poured out on that cross fill us with your blessing and let us wash and be clean in the wonderful love of Christ flowing from the cross Bless us, we ask, as we respond to you. And may we feel the drawing, attractive, magnetic force of the love of God. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's finish up with the song, Draw Me Nearer. Stand together with us. It's on your papers. 241 in your hymn books, draw me nearer, precious Lord. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, and be closer to Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that be
before thy throne I stand. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, her blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Amen, amen. I'm going to ask Levi if he close our service in a word of prayer. Levi. Dear Lord, we come to you today and we know we have a great need of your love. There is often a missing part within inside of us and the only thing that can be that it can be filled with is the love of Jesus Christ our Savior we know we have this need and we pray that we would come draw nearer to you have it filled by you we know that it was love that put you on that cross and love that lifted you up may we see you may we know that you have done these things out of love. And may we come to you today and speak our hearts directly to you and ask for your love in our hearts. May we be drawn nearer to your precious bleeding side. We thank you, Lord, for your offer of love, that you have cared for us, that you continue to care for us in every day, in every way. You watch over us when we go from this place and when we come back, Lord. You have your hand on our lives, no matter what the circumstances, you are there. We pray that you would be with us, protect us, help us, help us to know that our fate lies directly in your hands. All the things that we would do are directly the cause of what you would have in our lives. So we pray that our hearts would be ready for these things. Protect us and be with us. Thank you for this great, beautiful day. In your name.